0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee. So without further ado, here he is. This morning we're going to continue on in our series in in the book of Psalms. And I want to look at Psalm 127. It's a very rich passage of scripture. But I'm going to focus only on verses 1 to 2 from the psalm that Jason read for us this morning. You know, the... uh, it's been my experience that most people at Harvest are pretty hard workers. In fact, you guys work so hard, I sometimes get really humbled by your work ethic. We work hard at the things that really matter the most to us. Uh, we certainly work hard for survival. I think most of us, um, when it comes to just our basic needs, we're hustling every day and we're putting in the hours and all that. But I think we also work hard for other things. I see us working hard for security to ensure the security and well-being of ourselves and the people that we care about. And I see us working really hard to pursue a a sense of significance, and and I don't mean ego or, or pride in the unhealthy sense, but I see us pursuing a sense of significance so that we feel, we know that at the end of everything, our lives counted for something, that we made an impact and a difference in the lives around us, even in our world. Um, That's something that drives us. And when we feel that, we work pretty hard at it. But if we're being really honest, even after we've worked as hard as we're able, a tension remains deep down in us. Because we know that as hard as we've worked, there are are certain things we can accomplish and, and ensure, but there are also other things that our hardest effort are not enough to ensure. There are things that we care about that we're ultimately powerless to obtain in this life. Think about all the things you want to produce in your life and think about all the things you want to prevent from happening in your life. And we work hard every day to make sure we pursue those things But in the quiet of the night as we're drifting off to sleep, something deep down in us tells us there's only so much we can do. That's what this passage is about, especially the first two verses. It's about the difference between what God does and what we do. And even if our aims line up with God's, there is a certain amount that we can accomplish and there's a certain amount that we cannot, only God can do in our lives. So I want to look at Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, and and make two observations, one from verse 1 and one from verse 2, and they're related thematically. The first point is that unless the Lord works, we will never gain true security. We all want to secure the well-being for ourselves and our loved ones, but unless the Lord works, we're never going to gain that true, lasting security sense of security that we're after. Anything worth doing requires hard work in order to get it. I think that's true. And the Bible, uh, the Lord actually has nothing good to say about laziness. I could not find a single positive thing that God says about laziness. But he does have a lot to say about the value of hard work and diligence and discipline. In verse 1, he names two things that require hard work if we're going to pursue them. Both of these things represent our pursuit of security, uh, our desire to be safe and have enough for the things that face us. In verse 1 it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the first thing we see in this verse is this image of building a house. Now, in Hebrew, that word house can refer to the physical structure that um, you live in, or it could refer to your family or your household. For example, the six people in my family might be called the house of Lee or the house of David. And so, uh, in that sense, house is more than just one meaning. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never actually built a physical house. I have supervised or... um, Spoken into the construction process. When I built a house, and when I say I built a house, contractors did it, and I just picked details. But even then, it was a lot of work. I can't imagine what it's like to actually build the house you're going to live in. But you know what? I would wager that building a family is even harder than building a physical house. Anybody who's ever tried to put a family together knows it takes an incredible and hard work to put together a family that is healthy and well. The second image in this verse is that of guarding a city. You know, ancient people, especially in Old Testament times, lived in almost constant fear of foreign invasion. Whenever you saw a group of horsemen riding over a hill, that was never like, oh, I wonder what's going on. It was always a a sense of foreboding and danger. And so guards standing watch on the ramparts of the city's wall were so important To ensuring the safety and well being of the citizens. In fact, if you were a guard on duty and you fell asleep on your watch, it so imperiled the lives of those you were guarding and was taken so seriously that in most ancient armies, if you fell asleep on your watch, the sentence instantly was death. The Romans were especially unflinching about this. If you fell asleep during your night watch, the next morning you would be beaten to death by your fellow soldiers because your sleeping had put them all in mortal danger. When you think about how serious and how hard it is to stay awake and keep watch when others are sleeping or to build a house or even a family, you realize that to gain security in this life is not an easy thing. We all want it, we all want to feel safe, we want to feel okay, but that deep desire for security is not that easy to get. In both of these endeavors, we see two levels of work. There is the thing that we can do with all of our hard work, and it's true that we can obtain some measure of security by working really hard. If you work really hard, you will generally get a better job, earn a little more money, and with that money comes Um, the resources to do things like put in an alarm system, be better fed, better educated, all of those things, have a more reliable vehicle. So by working hard, there is a measure of security that we can build into our lives. And most of us work really hard to get those things. But there's a level of security that all the hard work in the world cannot guarantee. And that's what we see in this verse is the work we do provides us security with a lowercase s. But it's the work that God does that provides us with the security with a capital S. And that capital S security is the security that really drives the human heart. I mean, I could so capably feed and shelter, protect my family. I can educate them. I could entertain them. But at the end of the day, after all of that investment and all that hard work, What can I do against the face of random crime or traffic accidents, natural disasters, war, radical changes in the economy, a virus, a pandemic? You know, when you really think about this world we live in, I can do so much to guarantee a certain amount of security. But there are things I can't guarantee. And even if we dodge all those bullets, because my family and the ones I love are all free-willed human beings, I also recognize that I can't guarantee even the fragility of the human heart will stay intact. I mean, I could give my kids every advantage, everything that I can provide them, but I can't guarantee that they'll make good choices in life or that they'll grow up to be the kind of people I hope they will become. I, I think they're on track to do that, but they are human beings and I can't ensure that outcome. I hope that Jeannie and I grow up and, and grow old together, and we die of old age together hand in hand one night, and we both both in our sleep. That would be ideal. I hope that, but I can't guarantee that either one of us will even live to old age. I can't guarantee that both of us will continue to feel exactly the same way about life, about ourselves, even about one another. It seems like we're going to, but I cannot guarantee any of those things. Unless the Lord does His work, true security will always elude me because there are so many things that I cannot control. In verse 1, it says that if the Lord doesn't do His part, then in spite of all our hard work, that work will be in vain. What does it mean, in vain? I think a good picture of hard work being in vain, is given to us by the the Greek mythological figure, Sisyphus. You're probably aware of his story, even if you're not familiar with his name. Sisyphus was a figure in Greek mythology who, because of the way he lived his life, had been punished in the afterlife, consigned to a horrible fate. His assignment was to struggle and push this huge boulder up a steep hill. And that was no small thing. He would just labor and sweat. And by the time he got that huge, huge boulder to the top of the hill, he had to let it go and watch it roll all the way down to the bottom of the hill again. And then he had to start over. Now, every single time he rolled that boulder up the hill was a major accomplishment. And it took a lot of work. At the end of it, I'm sure when he reached the top, he's like, whoa, I finally did it. And he feels a sense of accomplishment. But the minute he has to let go of it and watch it roll all the way back down, picture what his heart felt, the futility, the frustration. For Sisyphus, his hell was to have to work so hard all the time only to discover at the end again and again that all that hard work was for nothing. I think that's the picture captured for us by Solomon in this particular psalm when he says, unless the Lord does his work, it won't matter how hard we work, that hard work will prove in the end to be for nothing. I think it's his way of saying to us that the security that drives human life, the desire for it, can only be gotten from the hand of God, not from our own hands. Some of you out there right now are feeling really insecure about your health, your finances, your profession, maybe your family and relationships. And it keeps you up at night because you realize that despite all your best efforts, there's a limit to what you can ensure for yourself. If you're struggling with that feeling of insecurity, I want you to know that God sees you, He hears you, He wants to give you that measure of security you're after. But if you don't trust him, you trust only yourself, that security will elude you. Heed the words of the psalm. Solomon was easily the wisest man who ever lived, and when he describes to us how life works, we ought to listen. Let me give you a second observation that comes from verse 2. And that is, unless the Lord works, we will never gain a sense of true significance. Look at Psalm um, 127, verse 2. It says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Verse 2 paints the picture of a person who is burning the candle on both ends, is just driven to work very, very hard. And yet, in spite of all of that hard work, at the end of it, there's still an anxiety deep down in his heart. He eats, yes, because he's worked hard, he's got bread to eat. But even as he eats that bread, it's what the the psalmist calls the bread of anxious toil. What a powerful, poetic way to describe what it feels like. When you've worked so hard and you've gotten all the things you've earned through that hard work and yet you know somewhere deep down it's not enough. It's not enough. Something is still missing from your life. Let me give you a picture of pursuing significance only to discover that you haven't been significant at all. And I'll, I'll, take, it, uh, I'll take this analogy out of my world the world of a preacher. You may not be able to relate exactly to it, but I think it'll help you understand what we're describing here. As a preacher, I can work very hard to become a better preacher. I can put in lots of study. I can watch other preachers who do it well and learn from them. I can hone my communication skills. I can do whatever it takes. And if I do it well and I learn, I might draw a really big crowd. I might even become famous. In fact, today, I might even become wealthy. I know pastors who have achieved a certain amount of celebrity and they can be paid anywhere from fifteen dollars to $25,000 for one 40-minute talk. I mean, that's astounding to me that a, a pastor could be paid that kind of money these days. And so if you really work hard at the craft, if you believe that's what significance as a preacher is, is that you are famous, you are well-known, you are well-compensated, you are well-received. If that's what I'm after, I can get it if I work very, very, very hard. But what if at the end of all of that, I discover that while people liked my sermons, no one grew from them? No one was ever changed by anything I said to them. They might have stayed awake. They might have enjoyed it. They might have even agreed with it. But even as I convinced them in their minds that this was good to believe, what if there was no parallel work under the hood in their soul, in their spirit, in their heart that was changing them, shaping them, transforming them so that they were becoming more like Jesus and they could see God more clearly in their lives? See, As we pursue significance, we reveal to the world and to ourselves how we define significance. And if I believe significance as a preacher is to become famous and to become powerful and well-known and well-respected, then that is the significance I'll pursue. And I might actually catch that kind of significance. But God says true significance as a preacher is not that many people hear you, but even the few that hear you are deeply, profoundly impacted by the Word of God going out from you. I believe that a lot of people achieve lowercase s significance. They get all the things that they're after, but if they're really honest, they're still yearning for that capital S significance. That feeling that my life didn't just produce good reputation, good resources, but my life produced real fruit in this world. I actually left an impression here for the glory of God that will outlive me, that will extend beyond my own reach. And I'm not talking about significance coming from how many people are affected, but simply this, that my time on the earth counted for something. That my being alive here on earth mattered, that somehow everybody whose life I touched was changed a little bit because God worked through me. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we're really after? And I believe that's the way that we all define significance. So what does it mean for God to work through me? How do I lay hold of this? How does the work of God intersect with my hard work? Because I don't believe God wants us to stop working hard. But He also doesn't want our hard work to eclipse His work in our lives. So how do I lay hold of the work of God even while I'm working very hard? And I think the simple answer is this. It's prayer. I know at this point, if you've been listening to my sermons for a while, you see just how uncreative I am. Like these really churchy, simple answers are my answer for everything. But I, I really do believe that the Christian faith is fairly simple. Look at Philippians 4, 6 to 7, and I think you'll understand what I mean when I say prayer is the way we lay hold of God's work. In the New Living Translation, it says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What we mean by this kind of prayer is not um, like a ceremonial dedication of my work in honor of God. It is a real work deep in my heart where, in spite of my hard work, I don't trust my hard work for the most important results. Prayer like this, is it's like transferring a physical burden from one vessel to another. It's like saying, God, all the hard work I did was not because I believe I can ensure these things for myself, but because I believe my hard work is a response of faithfulness and obedience to you. I'm doing the part you ask me to do, but I have no illusions. My part is nothing unless you do your part. I was just thinking about, children who's, who are motivated by the goal to get good grades and to do well in school. How defining uh, that is in the life of a young person, to do well in school. And it's the one time that their parents take notice of them, right? Just, hey, you just got a C or you got a D. And like are like, you know it's such an important goal when you're young to do well in school. And so a kid, that's their job, their mission is to do well in school. And in order to pursue that, think about how many other things have to be true of their lives that they don't work at, they don't control. I was just thinking about my own kids how even as they're working so hard and stressed out about grades and classes, I have to do a lot of other things for them to be able to focus on that little goal. They have to study. They have to go to class. But they don't have to pay insurance. They don't have to pay a mortgage. They don't have to buy groceries or prepare food or put gas in a car or create any of the other things that, that for them is the backdrop of their normal everyday world, that canvas on which they're painting a GPA. That's how life works. We have to do our part. And it's important that we do it because there's no substitute for the part that we have to do. But our part is simply an act of obedience and faithfulness. It's not the whole story. Our Heavenly Father does for us what earthly fathers do for their kids. He provides for us so many of the things we are powerless to provide for ourselves so that when what He has done combines with what we have done, something good can come out of it. When we work this way, where we transfer through prayer the burden responsibility for results from ourselves to God that kind of prayer produces God's peace in us and that's really what we're after when we say significance is not just fame or pride it's a lasting peace that my life mattered it counted it was worth it like my time here wasn't wasted and I can face the end with peace in my heart prayerless person bears the full weight of responsibility for the outcomes in their life. When you look at verse 2, it says that feeling of working so hard and feeling, believing that all the important results in your life are only the result of your toil and your hard work. That is what he calls eating the bread of anxious toil. It's this burden that we carry around that says, everything depends on me. And if you believe that, if you believe that everything depends on you because God doesn't even help you, no one else will help you, it all depends on you, that burden, that weight, will be impossible to carry for very long. And what God says is, you don't have to eat the bread of anxious toil. Hard work is its own reward, but hard work becomes toil, anxious toil, when we think that our hard work is the only thing we can trust for the outcomes in our life. When God is at work in us, there's a better way. And verse 2 holds out that hope. It says, if you look at verse 2, that he gives to his beloved sleep. That's how the English Standard Version translates it. Now, you can already see in the English that the Hebrew underneath it is probably a little trickier, or awkward because that's a really weird way to phrase it. He gives to his beloved sleep. Well, what that indicates is that even the original Hebrew, it's a little bit tricky. It could be translated or interpreted in two different valid ways. One way is exactly how it sounds. The NIV gets it this way. He grants sleep to those he loves. Now, you've got to understand that that phrase has always bothered me because I've been an insomniac for like 30 years of my life. And so if, if the ability to sleep well is a sign of God's love or favor, then I'm in trouble. And it stresses me out to think about that. That's one way to interpret this, is that for those in whose life God is working, He gives them the gift of sleep. Now, I'm wish i tempted to just casually write that out. Well, that can't be what it means because I think God loves me and I can't sleep, so that must not apply. But I've got to be honest about this. My sleeplessness may be God's way of revealing to me that there's still a lot of places in my life where I have shouldered too much of the burden and I need to transfer through prayer more of my trust, more of my confidence away from what I do to what He does. For all the words and all the worry that I do, I can't actually change anyone else's life where it matters the most. I can do my part, but I have to hand over the burden for my life and those of of the people I care about to a God who can do the things that I cannot. And I have to confront the fact that my insomnia may be God's indictment of my self-reliance and my prayerlessness. I don't enjoy saying that in a sermon recorded forever on video out in the public. Uh, That's humbling for me to admit but I have to face that possibility. And it has really caused me to do some reflection this week. What about you? Has He given you the gift of God's peace so that you can actually sleep because the burdens you've been carrying have now been transferred over to Him? But... That Hebrew can actually be validly translated or interpreted another way. And I don't know if you're familiar with something called the Net Bible, the New English Translation, but that translation captures the second interpretation fairly well. Look what it says. It says, It is vain for you to rise early, come home late, and work so hard for your food. Yes, he provides for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Did you catch that? One valid translation is that he gives sleep to the ones he loves. But another valid translation, and I believe this is closer to the heart of this, the truth of it, is that he gives and provides for those he loves even when they are sleeping. You know, I toss and turn many nights um, because there are people I care about in this church, in my family, outside of this church, people I really love whose lives are falling apart. And I'm sure you can relate to this. It it, it bothers me, and I feel the weight of it. And so many nights, the only way I can fall asleep is to say to God, what am I thinking? What can I really do for this person? I'm laying here as if my thinking about them, worrying for them, planning what I might say to them is going to lead to their deliverance, and it's not. And so I have to pray, even though I don't always feel these words, I believe these words, and I pray them. God, you love this person more than I'll ever love them. And you can do more while I'm asleep, totally unable to do anything. Even then, you can do more for them or for me than all my words and worry while I'm awake could ever accomplish. I was thinking about, um, because this is often my role, being the driver on a long road trip when everyone else in the car is asleep. Uh, with my family, they really like to sleep in cars. And, you know, when we're on a long road trip, they put in their headphones and many members of my family within the first mile, they're asleep. And I think about the long watch in the night when a, a person is driving and the rest of the family is snoring. You think this is kind of the way God probably feels a lot because for them it's like magic. They have a restful sleep. They wake up and it's like some kind of teleportation. I, I started here and magically I ended here. But in all that time while they were enjoying their sleep, someone else was carrying them, protecting them, guiding them, keeping that car safe. So that from point A to point B, the only contribution they made was to stay asleep. I think that's the picture here. That even while we are asleep, and think about this, we spend one full third of our earthly existence paralyzed, dead to the world, completely unable to contribute anything but dreams. Did you ever think about that, that, that God has assigned us to spend one-third of our earthly existence sleeping. It's as if he's trying to say to us, listen, even when you can literally do nothing, I'm always carrying you. There are places you want to go, but you can't get yourself there. But if you trust me, and if you will simply hand over confidence and responsibility to him, he will steer the car even as you sleep. That doesn't mean that confidence equals everything turning out the way you want. But it simply says this. There is a Heavenly Father who watches over you so that you don't have to watch over yourself every waking hour of the day. That's too heavy a weight to carry. You can't do it, and you don't have to. Some of us are groaning under the weight of that. And I believe God wants to set you free from that. Let me end with an analogy from the nautical world. Uh, I'm not a sailor. I don't know how to sail. But I've always been lured by the stories of people who have a life at sea. And when you look at ancient warships, here's a picture of a modern replica. They actually built this thing based on the model's historical records of a Greek trireme. A trireme was an ancient warship that had three decks below the surface of the water. And the, these these um, these decks, I'm sorry, not, not below the surface, but below the deck, um, you had slaves chained to rows and rows of long oars, and they would pull and pull these oars, and that's how they, the ship was powered. These ancient warships were powered almost entirely by manpower, so that they moved when the people were rowing, and they sat dead in the water when they weren't. Now, a lot of these triremes did have sails, but in battle, no one trusted sails. They needed to control when and where they moved, so they were entirely powered by these slaves rowing. In fact, in the ancient world, it was often regarded as the worst of all possible fates. If you were captured in war and sent to be a slave on a ship, it was one of the worst fates. When they pushed you very hard, they would often um, push these rowers so hard, they would die from exhaustion chained to their oar. I think that vivid picture describes the way some people work in this life. They're so stressed out and they don't see any way out. They're chained to this work. They know they have to do it because they have to provide. They have to put food on the table. They have to to do all these things and there is no sense of security or significance or joy or meaning in anything they do. They're just grinding away, grinding away. And that's their experience of hard work on planet Earth. I think there's a second picture that looks a little bit more like the way God wants us to learn to live. Look at this picture of a schooner. It's got a lot of sails. Now, it may seem like the wind is doing all the hard work, but I guarantee you, if you've ever seen the deck of a schooner, there's a lot of activity. It takes an incredible amount of work and coordination to run a ship like this. But all that hard work, all those sailors running around, climbing poles, pulling ropes, securing lines, all of that is aimed at one goal, and that is to get the sails aimed and ready to catch the wind. They're not propelling themselves through the hard work. They're getting ready. They're they are doing their part so that the wind, which they can either turn on or off, they can't control it. But what they can do is put in all the work to catch the wind when it does blow. I think that is not a perfect analogy, but it is a good picture of the way that our work and God's work are meant to intersect. We should work hard, but we shouldn't work the way a slave chained to an oar in an ancient trireme is just grinding away and grinding away so that if we stop working, nothing happens in our lives. That's not the picture of life in Jesus Christ. You have to work hard, but why waste your hard work in anxious toil? The right way to work hard is to say, God, I will do my part as far as I'm able, but all my work is meant to position my life and the life of those I love so that when you work, we're able to take advantage of it, to be affected by it. When your wind blows, our sails are ready to catch what you're doing. God knows how exhausting it is to carry the weight of responsibility for the outcome of our lives. He knows the things you care about. He knows that deep down you yearn to get security for yourself and the people you love. He knows that you want your life to have counted for something. And the good news is that He knows you care about those things, but He wants those same things for you. How do we lay hold of the work of God? Because unless the Lord works, the only security and the only significance we'll ever experience in this life is the lowercase version that we make for ourselves. And when we're quiet and honest, we'll know that it's just not enough. But the promise of God is if you will yield to Him, surrender to Him, trust Him more, Let go of that weight of responsibility that says everything depends on you. You might have to wait a while. He might not come into your life and do His work on the timetable that you want. But if you will trust Him and in prayer hand over that trust to Him, He will come through. I believe today one of the things God wants to begin doing in some of your lives is to untie that knot of tension that is so tightly coiled deep down in your spirit. And as He begins to do that work, I believe what's going to happen is you're going to experience peace, like a peace that you've never known before. Life still will be hard, but the weight of it will be off your shoulders and on his. And like a child happily snoring away as the miles roll under your feet, you'll know that even when you're dead asleep and unable to do anything, your Heavenly Father, who doesn't sleep, is awake at the wheel and carrying you. We're going to hear a song, and you'll be invited to sing along if you feel led, but I want to ask you... As we go into the last song, and by the way, thank you so much, um, Greenhouse. We've been blessed to have some young people lead us in worship this morning. And as they lead us in this last song, I want you to think about your own relationship to work, to responsibility, to burden. How stressed are you? How much real peace do you experience in life? How's your sleep these days? What's your anxiety level? Do you know that God cares about those things? And he's inviting you to experience real peace, to let go of the things you can't carry and you don't have to carry, to experience the joy and peace of being carried by him. Would you let this song minister to you? Sing along if you need to. Just listen if you need to. But let's go into the closing of our worship in a reflective posture. I'll be back shortly to give you a word of blessing before we dismiss. God sees the burdens you're carrying and the weight that some of you are groaning under. And this is the good news that He wants to carry that weight for you, that a lifetime spent trying to carry it won't succeed. He wants to free you from the futility of what Sisyphus had to do. He wants your work to have real meaning and purpose. In order to do that, he wants to do the hardest part of the work. He wants you to learn to trust him. So would you receive that from him today? That the God who loves you is working on your behalf. He cares about the things you care about. And he's very much at work for you, and in you. May God teach you to pray in such a way that you hand over the burden and the responsibility and the weight to Him and experience His real peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church.